Good evening. It is so good to be with you. You've got a good number present, and we're grateful for that. And we appreciate all of you who are visiting. And we're so thankful to have you with us. It is an encouragement to us. And we pray that our time together will be an encouragement to you as well. And that if you're traveling, that you will have safe travels all the way. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again. We'll open your Bibles to Isaiah. In a moment, we'll be reading from Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. In Acts 2, we read how the apostles of Jesus Christ boldly stood before a huge crowd, huge crowds gathered in Jerusalem, and they declared to that great audience Jesus. And declared that that Jesus has been made both Lord and Christ. That He is the Messiah, the Messiah that was to come. And that one, His Father, God our Father, has exalted. That God exalted His Son, Emmanuel, as His King. A king over an unshakable kingdom, a kingdom which will still be standing... When time is no more. This kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of our Lord, is like no other kingdom on earth. It is unlike anything that man builds or establishes or tries to uphold. Not only because the kingdom of Christ is not of this world. It is not of the temporal world in which we live, for it is spiritual, it is heavenly. But also because it is a kingdom that is filled and is pervaded with righteousness. True righteousness is the character of our king's rule. It is the character of our king's domain. And one reason why is because he is clothed in righteousness. It is for that reason I had you turn to Isaiah chapter 11, a familiar prophecy about the Messiah, about our Christ. Where it begins in verse 1, it says, A shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. And then dropping down to verse 4, it then continues to say, With righteousness he will judge the poor, and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth, and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also, righteousness will be the belt about his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist. What we find here is Isaiah prophesying that God's ruler to come, the Messiah, the Christ, would first of all come from the lineage of Jesse and David. And then this one that would come from that lineage would discern not on the basis of physical senses such as hearing and sight, but rather he would be one who would execute justice, true justice. And the reason why is because he would gird himself with righteousness. 
And that's one reason why righteousness permeates, fills Christ's kingdom and His rule. That is, that standard that measures and weighs everything and everyone based on what is right and based on what is wrong. And I think as you think about that concept, the idea that here is the King that is to come, Jesus Christ our Lord, and He says He will, he will be belted with righteousness. He will clothe, He will adorn Himself with righteousness. Righteousness will be the measure. It will be the standard by which He will weigh everything and everyone. And what that suggests is there is such a thing as righteousness. And if there is righteousness... There is also such a thing as unrighteousness. And so therefore, there is a right way to rule and there is a wrong way to rule. There are right actions and there are wrong actions. And in Christ's kingdom, our King, Jesus, will be girded and clothed and adored with righteousness. That is, everything or all that Jesus has done and everything that He will do is righteousness. You think about that. His decisions, His words, His actions, His judgments. It's all righteousness. And that should not be really surprising to us when you begin to... For a moment, just ponder the character of God, the character of deity. For example, if you consider in 1 John chapter 2 or 1 John chapter 3, when talking about the fellowship that we have with our Father through or in Jesus Christ, it is brought out the fact to have that fellowship, we must practice righteousness. But Why? Why must we practice righteousness? Well, we're told in both of those passages that God's character, God's nature is righteous. That is, the great I am is righteous. He not only does righteously, He is righteousness. The reason righteousness exists in the universe is because God exists. There is such a thing as righteousness because there is such a thing or one as God. And because God exists, righteousness exists, and therefore the Son, as we're told in Hebrews chapter 1, the Son who is the exact representation of His Father, chapter 1 verse 3, is righteous. So we should not be surprised that the anointed one of God to come to establish an unshakable kingdom is going to gird himself with righteousness because it is his very nature. It is his very character. And so Christ's nature is the same as his father's nature. And what's that? It's righteousness. So the rule of Christ, the rule of our king, the one who's king of all kings is righteousness. And so he expects what? He expects righteousness from his subjects. In Hebrews 1, 
In verse 8 and 9, he goes on to speak further about the Son, particularly in comparison or in contrast to the angels' role and their position in the heavens. And the Son is so much greater than that. And he says, but of the Son, he says, as here the Father is talking about His Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. Righteousness permeates, it pervades, it fills the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus. One reason, because he's clothed in it. It is his very nature. Because he is the fullness of deity. He is the reflection, the embodiment of his Father. And so therefore, we should not be surprised that this one, this one clothed in righteousness, the one who is described to us in the word of God as the king of kings, we should not be surprised that what he's going to administer that righteousness, is he not? We noted in Proverbs chapter 14 about how righteousness exalts nations. And if righteousness exalts nations on earth, how much more, how much more righteousness must and does uphold the throne and the kingdom of the very one who is called mighty God, Isaiah 9. Another prophecy about Jesus Christ. So we should not be surprised that this king of kings, who who is clothed in righteousness, is going to administer righteousness throughout his kingdom. And so therefore, he he declares righteousness. In Isaiah chapter 11, in chapter 11, it reads in verse 10. So farther down in that same chapter, it says... Then in that day, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse. Now we know who the root of Jesse is. It is, you know, through David, it is Jesus Christ. And so the nations will resort one day to God's anointed one, to the Messiah, to the one that the apostle declared is both Lord and Christ, Jesus. They resort to him, and he goes on to say, who will stand as a signal for the people's. And his resting place will be glorious. In Isaiah 11, this one is described as one who will be filled with the Spirit of God. And being filled with the Spirit of God, he will be filled with the Spirit of wisdom and the Spirit of counsel and the Spirit of knowledge. And so therefore this one then is further said, that one filled with the Spirit, filled with all those attributes... He will become the standard. He will become the signal to whom people will turn. And that should not surprise us. Since it is from Him, as we see in Isaiah chapter 2, early on in the book of Isaiah chapter 2, when talking about the mountain of the house of the Lord being exalted, and it says, and from Him flows the word and the law of the Lord God Almighty. So we should not be surprised that 
from the place or from the role, from the position where God's law and God's word will come, that that one is going to declare God's righteousness. That's why when you read that familiar verse in 2 Timothy 3.16 about all scriptures being inspired of God, that we're told that those scriptures that are both inspired and profitable are what train you and me in righteousness. The one who's clothed in righteousness declares righteousness. As king, he is also described in Isaiah as God's servant, a chosen servant of God who will become the covenant of light. Over in Isaiah chapter 42, Isaiah 42, and you look there beginning in verse 1 and in a few verses after that. So in the 42nd chapter in verse 1, it says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. See, who's the one who's going to be clothed or empowered with the spirit? Isaiah 11 tells us it's God's king, his anointed one. But that king is also God's servant. He said, and, he, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. But then drop down to verse 5 now. Thus says the God, the Lord God, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to people on it and the spirit to those who walk in it. So he says, this is the one who's saying this stuff. And that one will say, verse 6, I am the Lord and I have called you his servant. That's the you there. The chosen one filled with righteousness to whom will bring forth justice among the nations. He says, I am the Lord and I've called you in righteousness. And I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I'll appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. Isaiah comes back to that same theme in the 49th chapter as well. Expressing some of the same sentiments. As you look there in in verse 6, he says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. He says, It is too small of you to be the servant who simply is going to restore Israel alone. He says, I will make you a light of the nations. No, I have much bigger plans for you, my servant, my anointed one, my king. And he describes that to us. And you drop down there in verse 8 now. He says, In a favorable time I have answered you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. And I will keep you and give you for a covenant of the people. To restore the land and to make them inherit the desolate heritages. Saying to those who are bound, go forth. To those who are in darkness, show yourselves. Along the road they will feed, and their pasture will be on all bare heights. They will not hunger or thirst, nor will the scorching heat or sun strike them down, for He has compassion on them. On them He will lead them, and He will guide them to springs of water. All of this that is being described to us concerning God's servant, who's going to be a covenant of light to all nations one day, is, is in accord with righteousness. 
It's all part of God's righteousness. And His words are going to be a light of salvation. And His restoration is going to do what? Well, it's going to free the bound. It's going to feed the hungry. And it's going to guide the lost. And the reason why is because He is wisdom. He is righteousness in 1 Corinthians chapter 1.30. And in Romans 10 verse 4, we're told that Christ is the end or the goal of the law of righteousness. So our King Jesus declares righteousness to us because He is righteous. It is His very nature. It is what adorns Him. And so therefore the fruit of His light is going to be what? If you walk in the light of the Lord, if you abide in the light of Jesus Christ, what will be the fruit that is manifested? Well, Ephesians 5, verse 9 tells us very plainly, it will be goodness, it will be righteousness, and it will be truth. But that's not all. He also decrees righteousness. Now, Jesus came to do His Father's will, and we know that. And that will involve bringing about redemption to sinners like us, so that we may be cleansed of our debts and found justified by faith in God's grace. He came to do His Father's will. But he also came to reveal his father's will. He came to reveal his father's commandments. In John 8, he says he did not come to do his own will. He did not come to follow his own initiative. He said, but what his father has taught him, that's what he he says. That's what he speaks. So you come to the Great Commission... According to Matthew's account there in chapter 28. And what does Jesus say? Jesus said, well, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to do what? And teach them to observe all that I have commanded. Why is that? Because he is the king. That's why. And He's the King that has all authority, and His decrees decree to us righteousness. Interesting, when you go back to the familiar psalm of Psalm 19, which has been put to music, and what an appropriate psalm to put to music and allow us to admonish and encourage one another with those words. But go back and just kind of reflect again on the idea here of how the psalmist David, in praising God, in praising Jehovah, praises Him for the law. Because the law benefits man. That's why. Because David recognizes that all of God's word, all of God's decrees, all of God's laws and commandments, statutes and ordinances and precepts, all of that is for man's benefit. It's for our well-being. And you think about you know, those verses in verse 7, 8, and 9. How the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony is sure. Making wise the simple. The precepts are right. Rejoicing the heart. 
Just go down the list. All the different ways he describes divine law. It enlightens our eyes. It endures forever. His judgments are righteous altogether. And so therefore our Lord commands, our Lord decrees that we are to live righteously and soberly and godly in this present age. Titus 2 verse 12. Or in Ephesians chapter 4 24 when we're told to put on the new man in the likeness of God according to the new creation in Christ in righteousness and holiness of truth. So not only does Jesus reveal and declare righteousness, Jesus decrees it. He commands it of his subjects. And he will judge righteously as well. With the rod of his mouth, as you read earlier in Isaiah 11, with the rod of his mouth, he executes justice on the earth over all men. You recall the occasion in Acts 24. Jesus is on trial, given one of his defenses, and this time it's before Felix. And you've got this special account where Felix calls Paul into his presence and he talks to Felix about Jesus Christ. He, he explains to him concerning or teaches him about Jesus. And as he teaches him about Jesus, we are told he talked about righteousness, self-control, and judgment. You can't Talk and teach about Jesus without righteousness. If you do, you're not talking about Jesus. Jesus is clothed in righteousness. Jesus administers that righteousness on all different kinds of levels. And so therefore, Paul, rightly so, if he's going to talk to, to Felix about the Son of God, he's going to talk about righteousness, and he's talking about self-control, responsibility, and obligation, and he's going to talk about judgment. Because as we're told in Acts 17, verse 31, the world is going to be judged one day in righteousness by the man whom God has adorned and proven by raising him from the dead. Jesus is going to judge us in righteousness. And it is that righteousness that emanates and comes from and originates with God. It is that righteousness that provides for us propitiation. The righteousness of God has provided propitiation for our sins. Romans chapter 3 is such a powerful text. Not only because it, 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 it exposes our sinfulness, which needs to be exposed. We need to be aware, made aware of it. We need to see our faults, our waywardness. But it also is a passage that reveals to us in, in the context of sin that God's righteousness is, is what has provided propitiation for all those sins. In verse 21, Romans 3, Now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. 
being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short to the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was, a demonstrate to, this was to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time. So that He would be just and the justifier of one who has faith in Jesus. It is our sins, it is the sins of the world that separate all of us from God, from our Creator. And it is in the wages of those sins, the wages of our sins, that has earned us death. And the path of our sin leads to eternal condemnation in hell. That's what sin does to us. That's what sin has done to us. But God's love, God's immeasurable mercy and grace that are are attributes of His love toward mankind has made it possible that you and I can escape God's righteous indignation. We can escape God's just wrath. Why? Because He has offered a sacrifice so that we have an avenue of escape. And that sacrifice, as we all know, is Jesus Christ. And righteousness is in Christ. Righteousness in Christ is manifested. It is evident in this text. And it's interesting to think about all, when you start breaking it down, all the ways that God's righteousness is manifested in this paragraph, in this small you know, section of verses. When he begins by saying, first of all, God shows no partiality. When you talk about the propitiation of our sins, God shows no partiality. He is a righteous God, and Christ is the manifestation of that. Because ultimately, all sinners are required to believe. God shows no partiality. And those who do not believe will not be beneficiaries of this gift. God is righteous. Christ is righteous. And He is the manifestation of that righteousness. And God's gracious gift, a gift of justification, is through redemption. God shows no partiality. Faith is required by everyone if they're going to benefit from the gift. And somebody had to pay. Somebody had to pay. And so God redeemed. So Jesus redeemed us. But atonement, atonement requires blood. If you're going to atone for sin, if you're going to atone for crimes committed against God, blood must be offered. And so what does God do? God 
publicly. Do you find that interesting? That's the imagery he's used here. God publicly offered the perfect blood sacrifice which upholds justice. He did it publicly so all can know. It is not a mystery anymore. It is not a hidden truth. It is a public act that is publicly declared since that time across the globe. That God atones for sin through Jesus Christ. That's righteousness being revealed to you and me. And so God remains just. He remains just while He justifies sinners who live by faith in Jesus. Sinners who truly turn and walk by faith with Christ. And so God's just in propitiating and forgiving those sinners. But all unbelievers will bear the consequence of their sins and they will bear the consequence of their unbelief. Righteousness is provided propitiation, but God is righteous. And so there's accountability. And those who reject this avenue, this means of salvation, will not be saved. God is not partial. He means what He has said. There is salvation in no other name but Jesus Christ. And so our King... Clothed in righteousness, called mighty God, our King willingly and lovingly sacrificed His own life for all men in order to save those who choose to obediently subject themselves in faith to Him. And He does, and He will. And so therefore, that righteousness is what brings about blessing. You go back to the book of Isaiah, to another prophecy that relates to Jesus Christ. In Isaiah chapter 32, chapter 32, it speaks of a future reign, a reign of righteousness which would provide shelter and shade for its subjects. So you start there in the first uh, verse of the 32nd chapter. And it reads, Behold, a king will reign righteously, and princes will rule justly. Each will be like a refuge from the wind and a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry country, like the shade of a huge rock in a parched land. Then the eyes of those who see will not be blinded, and the ears of those who hear will listen. And the mind of the hasty will discern truth, and the tongue of the stammerers will hasten to speak clearly. Drop down to verse 15 in the same context of this prophecy. Until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fertile field, the fertile field is considered as a forest, then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness will abide. In the fertile field. And the work of righteousness will be peace. And the service of righteousness, quietness, and confidence forever. 
What a beautiful passage this is. Here you have this this prophecy about a future kingdom, a future reign of a king, reigning righteously. And and as a result of this king's reign, there will be a transformation of its citizens, of its subjects. Eyes will see and ears will hear. Hearts will discern truth and knowledge. And the work of righteousness and the service of righteousness will produce peace and quietness and confidence. It is for that reason when you come to the New Testament and we are expounded pertaining to the nature of that kingdom. In Romans chapter, you know, chapter 14 verse 7 we are told the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking but the kingdom of God is righteousness. It is peace. It is joy in the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Because righteousness permeates, fills our King, Jesus' rule and reign and domain. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, it talks about discipline and the benefit of discipline. And that God does chasten us as sons. And that we should be grateful for that discipline. Because what that discipline produces... And the end result of God's chastening, God's discipline of us, when we are trained by that discipline that comes from the Lord, what's yielded, we are told, is the peaceful fruit of righteousness. The peaceful fruit of righteousness. We want that, don't we? Don't we want the peaceful fruit of righteousness? Well, it's in Christ. It's it's under His rule. It's in His kingdom. James 3, verse 17, talks about the wisdom that comes from from above. And we are are told back in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, that He is wisdom. That Christ is wisdom. Christ is righteousness. Christ is sanctification. And the wisdom that comes from above is what? What's the character? What's the, what's the nature? What's the trait of the wisdom that comes from heaven? The wisdom that will come from our king. Well, it's purity. It's pure and peaceable. It's gentle and reasonable and merciful. That's the fruit. That's the product. That's the blessing that comes from the righteousness that avails us in Christ Jesus. God is righteous. Jesus is righteous. And citizens of Christ's kingdom are called unto righteousness. We are to live righteously and we are to heed all of the Lord's commandments and laws of righteousness. But if sin is reigning in our life, then righteousness is not ruling us. And we cannot receive the peaceful fruit of righteousness while walking in the darkness. But it is, the God, it is God's righteousness that makes it possible for each and every one of us to cleanse us from the sins that we have committed. 
the sins that separate us from God. There's cleansing available. There's washing available. There is forgiveness available because God is righteous and Christ is righteous. And we have a king reigning at the right hand of our Father in heaven right now who will propitiate and who will atone all those who by faith submit their will to the king's will, to the king's rule of their heart and their life. If you're not a Christian, then you're separated from God, you're outside of Christ, and sin is mastering you and sin is taking you down a road that leads to hell. But Jesus came to turn you to a path of light and life. If you believe Jesus to be the Christ, you believe him to be the king, the Lord, the savior of mankind, and you believe that with all your heart, but you've not surrendered your wills to his yet. We want to encourage you to make that decision, to make that commitment tonight. To confess your faith in Jesus Christ as God's Son. To repent of the sins that you have committed in your life. And to submit to Him in obedience and baptism. He will wash away your sins. And He will raise you up a new creature in Christ. One who is now clothed and accounted as righteous because of what God has done for us. You're a Christian, and there's sin in your life that is separating you from your Father and from your Lord right now. Right now is a perfect time for you to make that right, and do so among those that care so much about you and understand the struggle and the challenge it is to live a life of righteousness in a world that overflows with unrighteousness. It's not easy every day to be and do what we're supposed to be as children of God. If we can help you anyway spiritually, we invite you, encourage you, please come forward, make your wishes known, and we stand and sing the song that's been selected.